0: Welcome to the Knot Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, a woman's way to freedom, power, love, and magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Before we explore today's story, a story of one of mythology's original heroines, I want to tell you about a new offering of mine that I think you'll love. As a Not Work listener, you know me as a storyteller. You probably have a good idea of why I call myself a word witch, too. In addition to crafting and sharing stories from the past, I also help folks uncover and heal their own stories. This work helps you to be more fully present in the now and to create a more beautiful, connected future. I call this work story healing, and the new offering of one-to-one sessions is called Healing for Heroines. It's a unique blend of energy medicine, intuitive guidance, and the language of archetypes and mythology to help you work through the tangles of life so you can weave a new story, so you can weave a heroine's knot. Healing for Heroines isn't just for women. It's for non-binary folks and for anyone who wants to connect to the deep feminine wisdom within. Being a heroine is not just about being a hero in a dress. It's about deepening relationships, building community, and finding strength by asking for support. Learn more about Healing for Heroines over on my website, marisagoudi.com. And now, episode 12, The Descent of Anana. Our guest and storyteller is Pearl Greger. Pearl is an explorer and seeker. She's a writer, dream coach, storyteller, author of three books in the series Dreams Along the Way, and an international public speaker. Pearl is a farmer, grandmother, a blogger, and a crone of wisdom. Pearl experienced years of personal turmoil beginning at about age nine. Nothing, but nothing worked. Then, at age 43, she discovered meditation and learned that she could ask for a dream. That first dream unleashed an avalanche of change. Like the myth of the goddess Inanna, Pearl lived the descent into the underworld. Dreams, prayer, meditation, reading, and journaling led her through that long and intense seven-year journey to heal her shredded feminine soul. I am so excited to have Pearl with us today. As is our way on the Not Work Storytelling Podcast, we let the story speak for itself. So we're going to begin with Pearl's version of the Anana story. Pearl, will you tell us a tale?
1: The descent of Anana, the woman who planted the world tree. This is my story. This is your story. This is the story of the emerging feminine. Sinuous. Breathtaking, howling, wild instinct, spitting, provocative, baffling, tender, sacred, creative, harlot, courtesan, maternal, passionate, and feminine. Thousands of years ago in ancient Sumer, this story was told in beer houses and sacred temples. This is the story of the woman who sang the universe into existence whose song of songs honored the generativity and creativity of her bountiful breasts and plentiful vulva, who sang that which creates and nurtures the universe. Somehow, she left her song behind, and it was forgotten. Her name is Inanna. This story has been buried for many centuries. As myths are wont to be, it has been told in many places, in many languages, and many cultures. As old woman, my intent is to fan the flames of your soul, your soul's call to wholeness, that you might seek your deepest wild feminine nature, your wild instinctual wisdom, and the gift of your creative callings, that you might be stripped of the shallow patriarchal voice of the overculture. Now is the time to descend deep into your mysterious inner self, to find and integrate your own dark shadow sister, your mythical Ereshkigal. And so I say to you, all you women who long to be whole, listen up, be brave. Where have you put your buried treasure? Where are you complicit in the patriarchal system that corrupts and debases your very feminine self? Where have you forgotten your own soul self? Come now, let us join our circle sisters. And find our way deeper into a soul informed life. At the beginning of time, the great goddess, the goddess of many names, Astarte, Ishtar, and Inanna, was well loved, but she was exiled, desacralized, minimized, compressed, and idealized. And the goddess Inanna descended in search of her own wholeness. I wonder was my great great grandmother closely related to Inanna? What about the wise elders, the witches, the mystics, the kaliah? What about Mary, the mother and Mary of Magdala? Perhaps you are too. I was a father's daughter, who came to know Anana through the world of night dreams, the utter desperation of depression, pills, and nightmares. And so
0: the story begins. The goddess from below, the queen of the underworld, the dark shadow sister, Areshkigal calls the goddess Inanna, queen of the upper world, on a journey of initiation into the great mysteries. Dear listener, think of Inanna and Ereshkigal as two sides of the same woman. Ereshkigal is the dark sister, the shadow sister, the neglected side where death is called to life. Inanna decides she must respond to her sister's invitation to the underworld. Inanna must go to witness the funeral rites of Ereshkigal's husband, the great bull of heaven, Gugliana. Inanna is aware of the grave dangers of entering the great below. But she loves her sister and feels she must pay her respects. She seeks to know how to accept and use the powers of the dark feminine. And so, to gain the wisdom she so desperately needs, Inanna inclines her ear to the ground meaning, in the Sumerian way, she seeks wisdom and knows what she must do. She adorns herself with the May, the seven symbols of power, both earthly and divine, and readies herself to descend. In a moment of deep grace and drunkenness, Inanna's father, the god Enki, the powerful god of water and wisdom, had given her equal possession of the divine powers, the sacred May. But when he sobered up, Enki changed his mind and, seeking to regain his full powers, sent his minister to take back the sacred May. But Inanna, emboldened by these new powers, haughtily refused. How dare Father Enki demand them back? Reluctantly, he left the powers with her. Now, fully dressed and armed, Inanna abandons heaven. She abandons earth. She abandons ancient Uruk in Mesopotamia.
1: I tell you this descent story as it lived me through dreams. It happened mysteriously. I had no conscious knowledge of the myth of Inanna. But dreams emerge from the depths and the collective unconscious holds the old world's stories. After centuries, the myth of Inanna is slowly seeping up from its grave beneath the 6,000-year-old patriarchal bedrock. I invite you. Now, close your eyes, let your imagination, and come along on this dream journey with me. But first, a word on dreams and myth. Dreams are a doorway into a deeper place of connection to all. This is the mythic realm of ancient experience. It is from this realm that myth, dream, and creativity emerge. Dreams and myth speak a similar language. They follow their own way. Moderns find dreams and myth confusing. Come along, but be prepared to be illogical and irrational. Forget for a moment Cartesian logic, rationality, objectivity. Enter the world of innate wisdom. In your first dream, you enter an elevator. I'll wait a moment while you settle in. Really, you say, yes, an elevator. You have left your corner office, that visible symbol of success. You know your hard work, degrees, and intelligence have paid off. You have arrived. You inhabit the inner sanctum of prestige, power, and privilege. And this is a seventh floor office. You are the queen of heaven, the upper world, the sacred world of seven. You look around and recognize no one. You have a sense of unease, for the elevator is filled with strange, unrecognizable women. You are the star. The elevator doors close, and the descent begins. You merge with Inanna, and the descent continues, deeper and deeper, endless. Back
0: in Sumer. Inanna leaves behind the corrupt but powerfully cemented embedded rules and definitions of the kingdom of the patriarchy. She leaves her deeply beloved intellect so favored in the upper world. She leaves behind the comfort of the known with its difficult, inexpressible emotions. Law and order, linearity, logic and measurement are all discarded. Inanna descends in search of her own diamond self in the depths of the great below. Inanna instructs Ninsabar, her trusted and well beloved servant, to seek help if she has not returned in three days. Go alone to the house of my great grandfather Enlil, Lord of Air, and sing this lament before him. Entreat him to help and to ensure that I am safely returned. If my great grandfather Enlil will not help, go to the house of my father. Enki, god of wisdom and light, and sing this lament. Plead for Enki to ensure my safe return. Inanna continues her journey, and Ninsabar follows behind, knowing what she must do if Inanna does not return. Inanna is confident, for Father Enki knows that without her, the queen of the upper world, life
1: on earth will surely shrivel and die back in your dream world the elevator fall has begun you pray you ask your guides wisdom figures and angels for a safe fall all around you the unknown women are screaming you are calm the fall is endless eventually the elevator lands very gently in lambswool time bends
0: In her descent to the Great Below, Inanna must pass through seven gates. The gates are guarded by Ereshkigal's gatekeeper, Nettie, who has been instructed to remove one piece of Inanna's regalia at each of the seven gates to the underworld. Ereshkigal has demanded that Nettie deliver Inanna to her, naked and bowed low. Unaware of her shadow sister's destructive intent, Inanna believes she is ready. She will honor the cycles and spirals of this descent. Her ego self does not know what her soul knows. Soul knows that she will suffer much loss, but achieve different and very diverse powers. She will know and she will recognize the inner unseen power that has always been hers. She will know the authentic power of self and come to know the strength of power with others. Someday, the story unfolds through merciless change, loss, destruction, and rebirth. Anana arrives at the gates to the underworld with her pride and determination intact. She shouts imperiously, open up, Nettie, open up now. At this first gate, Nettie, the gatekeeper, instructs Anana to remove her dazzling crown. Anana protests. But my crown shows the world who I am. My crown connects me to heaven and earth. I must have my dazzling crown. I am Inanna, queen of the upper world. I have my own office. I am known and respected in my field. I have three degrees. My work is honored and loved. But Nettie is adamant. The ways of the underworld
1: must not Be questioned, Inanna. Back in your dream, you sit in your chair in an unknown church. Around you, people move away. You do not even know these people. You notice that all the chairs are totally wrecked. Everywhere you sit, things are broken. People are furious, angry, and you are deeply wounded, crying, heartbroken, like a rejected child you are confused and wondering what's happening. Inanna arrives
0: at the second gate where Nettie removes the expression of her great wealth and prestige in the upper world, her ring and lapis lazuli beads. Inanna sputters and protests loudly, but why? I am the queen. When I return, I have much important work to do. I am here for the funeral of my brother-in-law, Gugliana. I must learn the secrets of death. But Nettie is unmoved. Our ways are perfect. The ways of the underworld are perfect, and our ways must not be questioned. At the third gate, Nettie removes Inanna's beautiful breastplate and Paula the garment of ladyship woven from soft wool, perhaps in lapis blue with gold thread. Inanna has skillfully woven the pala herself. She protests, but Nettie is unyielding. Before beginning her descent, Inanna had decorated her eyes with coal and put on her beautiful, come man, come breastplate. Now at the fourth gate, Neti snatches the breastplate. Inanna gasps in surprise. She feels powerless. She knows the power of her sexuality. She knows that men bow and adore her breasts. She has covered the breastplate of her warriorship with her own sacred symbols of power and courage, and their loss is outrageous. But now, with so much of her visible significance erased, Inanna becomes quieter. At the fifth gate, Nettie seizes the golden bracelets of matriarchal lineage from her wrists. No! shrieks Anana. My family is famous. How dare you? But the golden bracelets are removed as she passes through the fifth gate. At the sixth gate, Nettie removes the lapis lazuli measuring rod and line. The science of reason, gender divisions, and objectivity disappear. And finally, at the seventh gate. Inanna only weakly resists as Neti removes her beautiful royal robes. Inanna is forced against her will to give up her earthly attributes, so useless in the underworld. She must submit all of the symbols of earthly power in order to fully embody all the feminine aspects of herself that have been entombed in her shadow sister, Ereshkigal. She must lose her life to regain and rebirth herself. Naked and bowed low, Inanna surrenders and is ushered by Nettie, the gatekeeper, through and beyond the seventh gate and before Ereshkigal's throne.
1: In your dream, everything is hazy. You're in a large hall like the dance halls of your teenage years. You go to the ladies' room and stand in the doorway as a young woman turns from the mirror over the sink. Her face is arresting. She is you. She wears very stark white costume drama makeup. Her eyes are dead and look right through you. You do not make eye contact, nor do you speak. The scene changes. You watch as a young woman lies on a stripped bed of iron. The skin has been peeled from her body. She seems fully content. A clear tube, half inch in diameter, Runs up to her head. Someone detaches the tube. You avert your eyes. Even in your imagination, you do not wish to watch this joyful, trusting young woman die. The scene shifts. Strangely, your office director is there. He puts his arm around your shoulders, speaking in low tones as he guides you out of the room. A strange woman you do not trust appears. Then, your young daughter appears beside you. You relax and come back to the room. Pondering your dream, you listen as the story continues.
0: Inanna shuffles slowly toward the throne of underworld judges who fasten the eyes of blame upon her, and a shroud of guilt descends. Perhaps in our modern Christianized world, we might think of the sins of sloth, laziness, pride, arrogance, greed, wrath, and envy. Ereshkigal pronounces Inanna guilty and strikes Inanna dead. Her corpse is hung upon a hook on the wall to rot. The father's daughter is dead. At each of the seven gates to the underworld, she has been stripped of some aspect of
1: her false identity. You awaken in stunned fascination. Is this the realm of the underworld? Can birth and death exist together? Is this then the birth, death, rebirth mystery spoken of by mystics and saints? Deeply troubled, you slip back into your dream, but something has shifted. You are impaled on the wall on a phallic peg. The layers of your head are stripped away piece by piece. You are dimly aware of what is happening, and you think to yourself Is this the real test of authenticity? Must I truly encounter the real darkness of evil? Is this the test of my resistance to social control and the overculture of women in the world? Is this the encounter with ego death that I have read about, talked about? even assumed I had perhaps achieved.
0: Darkness must become light. Now the death chamber in which we find Anana Ereshkigal becomes the birthing room. As strange as it seems to the mind of the upper world, as mysterious, enigmatic, wondrous, transformative, and traumatic, Ereshkigal is suddenly in the deep, convulsing pains of birth. The birth is long and arduous. However disconcerting, irritating, maddening, we must remember, this is a myth. We must enter the underworld. Remember Nettie? He repeated over and over, the ways of the underworld must not be questioned. In dreams, as in myth, anything, absolutely anything, is possible the mythologically imperative three days pass. Can the resurrection be far behind? Inanna's loyal servant, Ninsabar, follows instructions and seeks out the help of great-grandfather, Lord Enlil. But he refuses. And so, Ninsabar goes to Father Enki, who is very aware that without the safe return of Inanna to the upper world, the earth will shrivel and die. Knowing the real power of Inanna, Queen of the upper world, Enki agrees to help and fashions two tiny flies from the dirt scrapings, that is, from the earth, from the natural world, that's beneath his fingernails. He sends the innocuous, egoless, compassionate little beings to sit with and care for the birthing Areshkigal. These tiny little servants of Enki slide beneath the door into the birthing room and wait until the perfect time. They wait motionless in the face of death and birth. They listen to the forces of despair and even rage as Ereshkigal struggles through the birth. Remember, she is not birthing a new child. She is birthing herself. The sister in the underworld, the sister in the darkest pits, rhythmically and slowly births the raw stuff of the unconscious. Dear listener, please recall the events leading to this moment of transformation and rebirth. Inanna is led by the yearnings of her soul to attend the funeral of Gugliana, husband of her dark shadow sister in the underworld. Ereshkigal does not welcome her sister with open arms. Ereshkigal wants Inanna naked and bowed low. Ereshkigal wants her sister dead. As Anana dies, Ereshkigal gives birth. In that moment, Ereshkigal receives the aid of the little flies, the creatures of the earth who offer empathy, validation, sharing, support. At this moment of giving birth to the self, the two sisters, who are two sides of the same being, are becoming one integrated woman. Those feminine values that Inanna had so desperately hidden in the upper world, they are now saviors in the underworld. For this is the hidden world of the feminine. Ereshkigal cries. The little flies cry with her. They witness. They hear. They see. They echo her pain. They validate. And finally, when the time is right, they intervene on Inanna's behalf to Ereshkigal, saying, Your Grace, we only ask that the corpse that hangs there on the hook on the wall be given over to us. And so, in gratitude to the tiny, selfless earth beings who expect nothing in return, Ereshkigal agrees to give over the corpse of Inanna. And with the bread and water of life given by Father Enki, Inanna is miraculously revived and returns from the underworld, alive.
1: And so, through the mystery of death and rebirth, Inanna and her shadow sister become one. Just as the masculine and feminine merge in a new way, Inanna ascends. Inanna has found her song.
0: Pearl, thank you for this tremendous offering. This tremendous story.
1: It's a delightful story. It's a true story. It's a myth.
0: And I know you well enough, and I know the arduous birthing pains you've gone through to bring this story into the world that perhaps I should tell our dear listeners that Pearl says delightful with a bit of a twinkle in her eye. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, there's nothing worth birthing that's not a difficult story because life has its moments. Yeah. Life has its moments. And that difficulty, I think, births a real story, Mm -hmm. a deep story. And Marissa, I thank you for all of the birth coaching. (laughs) You really are a great doula.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to start with where you began with, this is a true story. This is a myth. So for those who don't know you and your work, pieces of this dream, which is your dream, are woven through this story, have also appeared in at least one of your previous
1: books, correct? It's in all three of my books. It is because these dreams took place over a significant number of years, mm-hmm. seven years, actually, to bring myself to my own rebirth. Mm-hmm. Unknown to me, as I said in the story, I had never heard of Anana. Mm-hmm. But by the time the seven years had passed, I had found a book written by a Jungian analyst, Sylvia Pereira, that Magically and mysteriously told about the myth of banana and its relationship to the psychological descent of living women. Mm-hmm. So, the dream about being hung from a pig was a very surprising dream because I had not read Pereira when I had the dream. So, that is seriously, that is the power of dreams, the power of the dream world. And actually the power of myth. I think the mythology that I think right now in our world, we are desperately seeking a new myth.
0: And of course, forging it from the ancient, from the half remembered, from the right now, in that sense of nothing ever gets truly tossed out. It becomes composted, recycled. It's that that which lays upon the ground in the earth itself for something new to grow.
1: Yeah. It, it seriously is, I'm a farmer. Mm-hmm. Nothing begins without darkness. Yes, The roots of the tree, the roots of the barley plant, mm-hmm. the roots of the corn, it all starts in darkness. We are people of the light. We've spent generations invoking the light. That's the masculine, the sky god. Yes. We might wish to invoke the goddesses of the earth, or perhaps even Enki, the god of wisdom, because we need both. Yes, We need the masculine and the feminine, which is not gender. It is, really is not gender. Enki brings the little flies from beneath his fingernails, mm-hmm. which is earth, right. the dirt of earth. Those scrapings come to life to validate, to help the feminine birth. So I, I see the two, the, the, the masculine and the feminine, so closely interwoven. Absolutely.
0: And they become clear in their integration and in their unity when we can tease them out a bit and say, yes, there is dark and light. And that together makes the experience of a 24 hour day or all these different ways in which all of life is a constant metaphor. Yeah. Or perhaps that's the natural world. And this of course is the metaphor. But that's how mythology works, is that it's the constant mirroring of mm-hmm. the natural world. You know, I've said this on this podcast many times is that myths don't exist to be ancient or centuries old soap operas. They're not here for a he said, she said, what exactly what you know was Anana wearing when she went down and stripped off at, at gate number four. But instead, so much of that is always in service to an understanding of the natural world, an understanding of the unseen world, an understanding of our relationships with one another, with the divine.
1: It truly is that relationship of our divine self. Mm which we have had a struggle to recognize the divinity within yes that birthing the divinity we we've never been separated but we've been separated in our mind yes so that unification of the self the the mythology of of Ananna she reunited with her shadow sister but they were never truly separated right Right. She just didn't know that that her shadow sister was there.
0: Yes. And that reminds me of what you said before, before we started recording the idea of how what our patriarchal beliefs of what the feminine is supposed to be so shape our understanding because there are the parts of this story that are most gruesome and dark and visceral are happening in the birthing chamber in that feminine space that our patriarchal mindset has made us think should be sweetness and light and how disturbing it is to say, but wait a minute, this is the girl space and it's really yucky, is the one of the most colonized patriarchal mi- mindsets we could have.
1: Yeah. I'm reminded of so many stories, Marissa, because as you know, I'm not 39 anymore <laughs> <laughs> and there are many many stories in a lifetime what comes to mind is a story of a group of male superintendent of schools and i am a professional development person that's what i was doing and i was speaking to this group of men around curriculum development and they were looking at me kind of glassy-eyed going, what is she talking about? And I look at them and I say, it comes right out of my mouth, no forethought whatsoever. Well, guys, this is not a cesarean section. This is natural childbirth. (laughs) We bring the curriculum to life in a classroom. There was a dead silence. (laughs) As one might imagine. (laughs) And one of the superintendents that I had worked with for several years in the school district kind of smiled and he said, okay, Pearl, maybe you would understand natural birthing. It's more difficult for us. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's what comes to mind when I think of
0: it. Yes. The power of that metaphor when, of course, when you tell it in that way i'm also imagining these guys in their three-piece suits in the father's smoking lounge where they might have you know they would have a flask in their pocket and the cigars are at the ready and they're saying and they're perhaps they're thinking what does julius caesar have to do with any of this we're actually talking about physics yeah
1: yeah it it was truly a delightful moment Mm. now in in defense of all those gentlemen they did have to smile and laugh and say okay, I think we'll get it.
0: And I can only hope that they were telling that story for years because they were secretly learning (laughs) from it.
1: Yeah. And their wives got a giggle. (laughs) I hope so. I really do hope so. Well,
0: you know, as you tell a story of a group of men, what I was noticing in the dreams that you were sharing is they were almost completely filled with women who were strangers. Mm -hmm. And that was a very fascinating contrast for me of when you opened the story, you called in your sister listeners. And that was that sense of really creating a community of those who will hear this, women, men, and everyone along the spectrum who is open to hearing these tales. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to talk a bit more about that sense of community and alienation, individual paired with the stranger and how that comes through here.
1: Well, first of all, we need to look for a moment at the notion of strange women in the dream of a woman. Mm -hmm. And as I came to understand and appreciate dreams, I realized those were the strange feminine aspects of my being. Mm. I did not recognize my own feminine. These dreams came when I was 43 to 50 years old, that is midlife. Mm -hmm. A massive change in which we hopefully do recognize our sisters. We've spent a lot of time recognizing the brothers. Mm. I grew up in a very brother-oriented world. I have six brothers. Whereas my father was the wise man, very wise man, it was still a very masculine and in the 40s and 50s, very patriarchal world. So recognizing the circle of women who are coming, my life's my life now is filled with circles of women. Yes, there's there's men, but there's many women. Mm-hmm. And they are all, as as Jean Houston talks, coming to circles because we're gonna have to fix the world. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to birth a new world. Mm-hmm. And that's convulsing difficult, bloody, destructive work. Yes. Yes. So the millionth circle is what I hope to achieve before I'm 102. The millionth circle, the millionth circle can read about there's a book by Jean Houston, I do believe Mm -hmm. about the millionth sisters circle.
0: Hmm. I haven't heard you mention that before, but I have heard you mention your plans
1: around how many trees you want to have planted, right in your ten-year plan. Mm-hmm. And, and that is that is hopefully will begin, well, it has begun because we form these things in our mind long before we actually do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the dream that formed with the strange women that takes seven years to come to fruition. Or you think about the seven gates or the seven May, and you begin to see, I was in the first dream. I was on the seventh floor. Mm -hmm. I descended to the bottom Mm -hmm. endlessly. Ah, Dreams are just filled with all this mythology. I'm not sure what I did with my life before I discovered dreams.
0: (laughs) You worked your way towards talking to superintendents. You were rather busy.
1: I was very busy, but think it was depression that led me there. And so as Rumi would say, the wound is where the light shines through, but the wound is in the darkness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so back to the mythology we go into the wounded. There's a, there's a wounded goddess somewhere. I've forgotten the name at the moment, but there's a wounded goddess, probably a wounded God as well. Right.
0: And this calls us back, you know, knowing that you and I have our own history throughout the summer of 2021. We've recorded our own series of conversations that Mm -hmm. folks can find over on my YouTube channel for diving deeper into some of these particular stories. But what arises for me is I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the kind of I suppose that maybe the correct thing to say is the universality of dreams, the collective nature of it, because you and I have connected across the decades. I think your daughter and I are the same age, grew up in a very different Mm -hmm. situation where, yes, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and yes, there was the patriarchal constraints, but it was of a different form. And yet, as you share this dream of the elevator, as I hear the echoes of Anana saying, but I have all of these degrees. You know, I am feeling the echoes of my own experience throughout. But I'd love to have you talk a bit about this sense of your dream becomes our dream when yeah. shared in this context, even if it doesn't come to the rest of us
1: in that nighttime language. It's interesting you you bring that up, Marissa, because I- before this podcast earlier today we we did some writing in your in your sovereignty writers group and we talked about crossroads we talked about intersectionality and what came to me was a dream group that i had in that dream group were eight people and myself i facilitate these dream groups and as i wrote about intersectionality this morning I realized we had a woman who had originated in the West Indies, a Black woman who now lives in Virginia, a woman who originated in Iran, a woman who now lives in West Virginia, several white women who live in Canada and the United States, and a white man who lives in Louisiana, and rural women, rural people, the man who was a male nurse, the diversity of that group, and we shared the universality of the dream. Yeah. Three women told their dream that night. And we always work with their dreams. And they were dreams of not feeling like they belonged. Now, they've been in the United States or Canada for a long time, one in British Columbia, the other two in in the States, but all immigrants. And they were coming to terms with the fact that although they belonged in their world, they were living in, they were still trying to belong in that world because they brought who they were in Iran, who they were in Bermuda or the West Indies, and who they were in the Netherlands mm. all came with them. Mm. And so that universality of the dream language is very potent and very powerful. We had the same language, the dream. But we spoke different. We spoke French. We spoke English. We spoke Farsi and a very different dialect from the West Indies. Mm. To me, that was a powerful evening mm. of sharing what the world really is like, or what it could be like. There was peace, there was peace in that Zoom room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that seems to echo another thing I've heard you say before, that this dream is the journey of the soul, Yeah, which has that same universal quality. I mean, perhaps it is the universal quality. Yeah. Because I know that I've, i remember discussions with you in the past where world is too limiting. We need to be thinking cosmically.
1: Yeah. We need to think planet and then we need to think universe. Mm. I could tell stories about dreams f- for, forever and a day, but that, that universality, that it's a cosmic universality that's, I don't know if it's strange to our mind, as maybe mythology and dreams are strange, to the Western mind. Westerners, recently I was reading another article on dreams, and collective dreaming. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the article starts out with the sentence, it says, were we living in an Aboriginal community in these kinds of difficult and stressful convulsive times? we would be getting together over the breakfast table and discussing our dreams. And that struck me very, very strongly. Mythology brought the world together in the days of Inanna. Mm -hmm. Perhaps dreams can bring us together in our day. I mean, hers is a story that's 6,000 years old. It's only slowly emerging.
0: And what strikes me in the understanding of Inanna, in the imagining of sitting down with the family or who, whoever your chosen family is around your breakfast table to discuss dreams, at a certain level, I can imagine that intellectually. And I also can say, well, that doesn't sound at all possible. We all get up at different times. We're rushing off. We're busy, busy, busy. That, whether I guess, modernly known as the head trash that gets in our way, <laughs> but that all of this whether it's myth or dream, talk of the soul, talk of the cosmic, even really talk of the world, because we know that there are limits to our understanding and how far we can go with the abstract. All of this seems like more and more of an invitation to stop trying to think our way through it and go to that other wealth of resources we have, those other ways of knowing, those other ways to wisdom.
1: And that article went on to say that we, are, we live most of our life in the outer world. Mm-hmm. And as we learn more and more, we come to understand that the wisdom lies in the inner world. Right. I mean, Inanna went searching for her innate wisdom. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase, innate you've got it, I've got it, the kid down the block has got it, the great-grandmother has it, everyone has it. We're we're trying to birth it. Right. And we've
0: accidentally taken so many detours into narcissism and self-obsession and the selfie culture, and it's like not that kind
1: of inner work. No, not
0: not, not quite.
1: Go. No, no. Skip skip descartes forget Mm. your three degrees Mm -hmm. in logic because there is nothing logical about rebirthing an entire universe
0: (laughs) say that again
1: (laughs) (laughs) and yet we know from science that the universe is in a cell Mm -hmm. i mean we're so slow some days i wonder how can i be so slow at understanding all of this. And yet, at the end of it all, you look and you say, well, what I understand at my at the age of 76, after all this study, and after three degrees, would still fit on the head of a pin. Yeah. And so, I guess I say to everyone who's listening, go deep. Mm-hmm. Ask for a dream and see what comes up. And then think about a nana. And think about those seven gates and strip away all the overculture, all the well, don't strip away Zoom, because then I can't talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) But strip away the head trash as you as you called it earlier. Mm -hmm. The intellect just doesn't know much. Right. The heart knows, the soul knows. Wow.
0: Pearl, that feels like the perfect place to pause our conversation for now, knowing that it will continue, that one can always find Pearl on Zoom when her, when her cattle and the rest of the farm can, don't need her. She's on here talking about dreams and visions and the stories beneath the story. Yeah. Are there any last thoughts you want to share with us as we say farewell for now?
1: In order to expedite the world of dreams, I would say to folks, you can find me on the internet. You can find me on my own website. It's called Dreams Along the Way, appropriately. And I would love to meet you in many worlds, in this world of podcasts and in the world of dreams and Zoom. Or you can even come to my dream sanctuary on the farm, in my sunroom, if you wish.
0: I'm excited to get there myself someday. (laughs) Hopefully, it won't be too long from now.
1: Yeah, you're invited. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you so much, Pearl. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning into the Not Work podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagoudy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. It's by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Find out about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember, ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful,
1: sustainable future.